So today, I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Deuteronomy, um, which is not necessarily the book that you would think of, that someone would directly go to to preach out of, you know, Ten Commandments and things like that. But um, there's this one verse, as I was reading Deuteronomy um, a week ago, that just, like, jumped out of me, and I couldn't get away from it. It was just, like, it just, like, caught my heart, and I was like, stay here, stay at this verse, which is Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. So I invite you to open to Deuteronomy, um, just at the beginning of your Bibles, the end of the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. And it goes like this. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. Amen. That is the scripture for today. Now, this verse takes place in a very interesting context because present moment, Israel is in the desert and they've been wandering for 38 years. Deuteronomy tells us that the last two years of their wandering is not fully complete yet. It's been 38 years, and they're on their way to the promised land. Their parents' generation has completely died off because their parents' generation chose not to enter the promised land when God offered it to them. And so then they died, and now it's their children who have basically only known the desert. They've grown up in the desert. This is all they know. And now the Lord is saying... I'm going to be moving you, positioning you to go into the promised land that I promised to your parents' generation. What's really interesting, though, is that they are not at the border where God has told them the promised land is. They are not at the Jordan. That's like the famous kind of picture we have in our mind of crossing into the promised land is there's this Jordan River and that Joshua, Moses is dies and then joshua is given the task of leading this people across the jordan into the promised land and the waters of the jordan part just like the red sea parted and they enter in this is not that moment this is about a year and a half before when they have to actually make their way to the jordan and it's their first battle their very first battle before they begin to actually take possession of the promised land. And so this is a very interesting moment in history because they have no concept of what it looks like to battle. They are not part of the warring generation that came before them. They are not part. They don't even know what a great and grand like city looks like. They'd never lived in Egypt or if they did, they were probably four years old, maybe five years old. They don't, they don't know anything about that. All they know is wandering in the desert, no green things, no rainbows. You know, that's what I think about, like, how sad. Um, no flowers, just some shrubs, and then the supernatural provision of the Lord. That's the one thing they know. That manna has come to them day after day, and that they have gotten water from the rock. They've gotten, like, just supernatural provision wherever they've gone for 40 years. But still, they don't know how to battle. They, they've never been in war. And so I was like looking at this and I was like, wow, I feel like this matches my context sometimes. There are moments in life where I've been in a wilderness season for long enough that I feel this kind of urge like, oh, I 
I feel like God is presenting before me something to obtain. Like there are promises set before me. There's inheritance set before me. There is something good that God wants me to have. I feel like I'm not in the fullness of what I was created for. I feel like I'm a little like, "Mm, I need to get somewhere, but I don't know how to get there. But I've been in the wilderness for so long that I don't remember how to fight. I don't remember how to lay hold of God's promises for my life. And so that I was looking at this, I was like, man, this, this is me. (laughs) Like I am the second generation of Israel and I want to take possession. I just need to know how. So today we're going to go through this verse to look at how God has set before us the, like the pattern of taking possession. So the first part is the very beginning of the verse that says, rise up, set out on your journey. These words are very interesting. Whenever you see the word rise up, it's like, it's something momentous. Like it is, it is a history marking moment. You know, like when Jesus comes to the man at the pool of Bethesda, who's been lying on a mat for like 30 years. And he says, you're healed, rise up and go like what a moment in history. Amazing. And then, when Jesus goes to a girl in a small town in Capernaum and she has died and he says, little girl, rise up. And she comes back to life. The moments when God says rise up to us are the moments that he's presenting life before us. This is the most amazing thing. And so right as soon as we see this, we see rise up. We know, oh, an opportunity for life has been set before me. And so the only thing that I have to do now is set out on the journey. Now, this is difficult. If you haven't been on a journey to obtain the promise before, or it's been a long time when you've forgotten, then the first thing that comes to your mind is, I'm not able. How can I? I don't know what this is like. I don't have experience in this. I'm very young. Maybe I'm new to the faith. I'm a new Christian. Or maybe I have been through a lot and I haven't been walking with the Lord for a while. How can I, how can I rise up and make my journey forward? This image for us is kind of like a baby or a child, but even so, have you ever watched a baby who is like growing kind of like out of his phase of like always being held and he's starting to be more active. You know, when you hold them, They start to like bounce up and down like this constantly. They're still being held, but they're like, they're kind of like working out their legs. They're like, oh, these things are fun. You know, what do I do with this? I feel like this is that moment for Israel. God is holding them and he says, rise up. I've got you. Just work it out a little bit. Just try it out. Just trust me. I'm going to build your muscles for you. Because the fact of the matter is, we'll never become someone who can take the promise. We can never become someone who accepts the fullness of what God has given to us unless we have a beginning point. And all of us have a beginning point. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in me having a different place of faith than someone else. You can't compare your beginning to someone else's middle or to someone else's end. So we're all capable of taking hold of the promise that God sets before us. This is the first thing that we know. 
Now, the benefit of this, of where they're positioned, the benefit of being in the wilderness is that they have desperation. There's a desperation to not be in the wilderness anymore. If someone tells you, I am giving to you a good land filled with fruit, filled with wonderful things and cities that have already been built for you. Like you'd be like, what's a city? (laughs) I've heard about that. That sounds cool. You know, there's an excitement of like, I don't know what that looks like. It's not here, but like, let's go. And there's a desperation of like, if I spend a moment longer in the wilderness, I may die. I may just wither away. And so there's this like potential of like, we can exercise the muscles that we have to move forward, or we can let them atrophy and just die. And so there are two kinds of desperation that I'd like to point out. Two kinds of desperation that we can have. One is a desperation without faith. And one is a desperation with faith. A desperation that is without faith is a desperation that is self-reliant. This is the desperation that the first generation of Israel had. They came out into Egypt, and within the course of 11 days, God had already brought them to the border of the promised land. But within 11 days, they were so upset that they were in the desert that God was like, behold, go take it. And they're like, there are giants in that land. We don't want to face them. We feel like we're not ready. Just focusing on their lack. I in myself don't have the power to do that. I relying on my own hand could not conquer that land. We're not going God. And God said, fine. (laughs) You can have what you asked for. Now you will wander in the desert for 40 years and you will not see the promised land, but your children will because I'm still faithful to my promises. And what's crazy, have you ever seen a child that's been denied something that they really want because they didn't listen to their parents? Like imagine like you're meant to brush your teeth in the morning before you go to school, like some like four-year-old, and he's meant to brush his teeth. And if he brushes his teeth, he knows that he gets an extra like treat later, like a dessert for lunch or something like that. But then he's like, I'm not going to brush my teeth. And then his mom was like, well, too bad for you. You don't get dessert today. And then suddenly he's like, no, I'll brush my teeth. I promise. I I brush my teeth. And like, you can try brushing your teeth. You're still not getting dessert. So you know what Israel did the first time they were denied? Something I never paid attention to when I read through this story. They, after being denied access, and God was like, Nope, you're relying on yourself. You can't go in. Then they're like, we're going. It says they actually put on their armor and they went to go take the promised land. Never mind. We can do it. (laughs) March in. And God was like, don't do that. You're going to be destroyed. They're like, no. And when we first look at that, we can be like, well, what's wrong with that? Now they're being obedient. So why don't you just give them a second chance, God? The problem is that they're still being self-reliant. That's why God was like, nope, you're going to be destroyed because you still don't know how to rely on me. You're desperate to get out of the desert. You're desperate to receive the promise, but you also don't know how to lean on me. So then they remain stuck. 
It takes a second generation that's seen the providence of God in their day-to-day to go, okay, we know that we can depend on the Lord. We're going to lean on him. And this is a dependence. It's a desperation with faith. Desperation with faith is a dependence upon God. We see this in the Psalm of like Psalm 23, like you are my good shepherd, knowing that the Lord will lead me to places of rest, knowing that he will set a table before me, knowing that he's by my side, that he's my strong tower. All of these images of who the Lord is, this is what we have to depend on. This is what we have at face value that we get to take for ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to depend upon the Lord because this is the nature of who he says he is. Hmm. But one of the problems we have with this is that sometimes we feel like we've been disappointed. It's like, I trusted you as a good shepherd before, and I feel like I was robbed. I thought we were going somewhere and we'd never got there. So why should I trust you again? There's a lot of mystery in that. I'm not going to say that there's one clear answer. Could be that we were in sin. Could be that God had something better for us and we were aiming for the wrong thing. There's, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we might not have been delivered to the place we thought we were going. But it does not negate God's character does not negate the fact that he's a provider. It does not negate the fact that he's a good shepherd. It just shows that he knows best. The problem is, if we refuse to contend for our promise, we refuse to look towards it and say, I'm going to trust you again, we might have actually made the promise more important than God. There's a place of idolatry that can happen. It's not, I mean, disappointment is natural. That is totally okay. We are human beings and we are fickle. And that is something we have to accept about ourselves. So if you're disappointed, it's okay. <laughs> if you're hurt, that's okay. You need healing, that's okay. But if my hurt and my healing and my disappointment becomes a reason to not trust God again, that means that was an idol in my life. It means I need to begin to trust that this is good in God's timing or it wasn't good at all. But now I can begin to pray again because I believe there's even better things. So that's one thing. And I think another thing is, well, the Lord hasn't given me anything else to contend for. I don't know what it looks like. I'm waiting to see the promise so that I can believe for it. Very interesting. I'm waiting to see the promise so that I can believe for it. But then here's Israel. They have no idea what the promised land looks like. And you know how this can kind of take place in our lives? I don't think I can hear God's voice. I feel like he hasn't spoken to me. But everyone hears God's voice. The shepherd speaks to his sheep. It may not sound like what you think it's supposed to sound like. He's not speaking in an audible voice to everyone. That would be really crazy. I mean, like, if he did, praise God. That would be so cool. But 
He doesn't. So a lot of times he speaks through inclinations on our heart. We have the Holy Spirit in us who is kind of leading us towards things and like kind of leading us away towards things. We have people in our life who will confirm or not confirm what we've been thinking about. And God orchestrates those things. That's the way he speaks. And he speaks to you through his word. When you read the word, you can go, okay, no, this is the word of God. This is what he's speaking to me. It's not for somebody else. Sometimes I used to read the Bible and I was like, that's a nice passage. That's not for me. (laughs) I mean, we do that sometimes subconsciously, but it, it is for you. And if you feel like it's too hard to take on right now, maybe that's your, that's your battle for this season. And if it feels like you simply just don't understand it, that's okay. Don't throw it away. Because that would be like throwing away a part of an Ikea set for furniture. <laughs> you know? You get, I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but when I first bought Ikea furniture many, many years ago, I got directions that were not in English (laughs) with just pictures. And I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And sometimes reading the Bible will feel like that because we're learning God's language. We're learning a language of faith and we're learning a language of his character. It's not going to make sense. So we're like, I'll just throw it out because I don't, I just can't understand it, so I don't have to believe it. No, don't do that. Because, you know, if you... I mean, I know people who, when they go to build their Ikea set, they are adamant that the wrong product has been sent to them. (laughs) They are adamant that it doesn't have everything it's supposed to have. They'll call customer service and be like, look, you need to send me the right product. This is wrong. I don't know how to put it together. They'll be like, no, sir. If you just follow the directions, you're like, I don't understand the directions. So you just do away with it all together. But, you know, you can't just have pieces lying in your living room just sitting there. So eventually you come back to it and you're like, just staring at it. Oh, and then suddenly a light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I get it. I was putting such and such in the wrong place. This has to go before that. And a lot of our reading of the word is taking in a lot of truth, but sometimes we don't know the order it goes in. We don't know the things that it's connected to. But if we would just keep going, God would start to put things in the right order and set it all into meaning. So we all hear the word of the Lord through one another, through his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit, witnessing to us and confirming to us what his word is. So now we have no excuses. We have no excuses to not follow the Lord into the promised land. We have no excuses not to trust him. Because his word says it's good. He shows us what the promised land is through his word. We don't know what it looks like, but we can at least say, well, I have faith because you said it. The end. Now let's move forward. This brings us to point number two. Behold, I have given you. And we have to ask the question, what is it? That we have been given. Or in this case, let's first ask, what has Israel been given? Israel has been given victory over King Sihon and land. For us, we can translate it this way. Victory over our adversaries and an inheritance. Now let's define those two things. What is victory? Over my enemies or my adversaries. 
Well, there are two kinds. And I think pretty much only two kinds. One is anything who's working against the gospel and God. That's your first adversary. Anyone who tries to deny that the word of God is true, try to discourage you or to lead you away from living out God's word in righteousness, any attack of the enemy that comes into your mind to put you down, to plant fear, to help you not trust in God, to make you reflect on all the things you lack rather than reminding yourself all that you have in him. That's our first adversary. Our second adversary is actually ourself. You are your primary adversary. Which is why being self-reliant is a really bad idea. Because our own sin, our own tendency to want to be like God, will foil God's plans before any other adversary has to. Because we can be so stubborn in our own ways, or so insistent that we know what's best, that we don't trust him. So there are two adversaries that we have to look out for. And sometimes we can blame, blame, blame all my circumstances. The enemy is attacking me, blah, 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 blah. I don't have what I need. But actually, it just might be yourself needing to sit down before the Lord and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand anything, in fact. (laughs) I am just a foolish sheep, you know, who wanders into holes and has to be pulled out of them, you know. Have you seen that video? There's a video online of this sheep that's gotten stuck in a hole. I've heard that that's a common thing. That's not just that sheep. (laughs) All sheep are like that. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, that means we are all like that. Praise the Lord. (laughs) We get to depend on him now. So it just simply means coming before the Lord and could go, okay, God, I know that I can be my own adversary sometime and I don't want to hinder what you're doing. I don't want to stand in the way of your promises. So help me work through this. Like bring scripture to mind, send me to people, help me have conversations and let's point me in the right direction because I don't want to walk into the hole again, nor do I want to want to keep wandering around in the wilderness. And now we'll turn to inheritance so that's victory god is promising victory over our adversaries but the second part is inheritance and for israel inheritance was a land it was a destination in the physical for us it is not that and it will not be that for us it is a spiritual inheritance which means that we have an extra challenge that israel did not have because they could not see their promise but eventually they saw it But for us, we will not see our promise. And even still, as we're progressing towards it, we may not see any sign of it. Because we've been given this journey of faith. But I will kind of, I'll try to highlight kind of what these aspects of inheritance are. If you read the book of Hebrews, he talks about inheritance all the time. The writer is unknown. He says that Jesus Christ has won an inheritance for us as a mediator of a new covenant. Now that word new covenant basically speaks everything about the inheritance we now possess. It means that we have redemption from our sins, which means that we have an eternal inheritance with him, which means we get to dwell with him forever. 
This is God's primary purpose since the beginning of time. And it's like the best thing ever. He creates a garden to dwell with man. He creates a tabernacle to dwell with man. He gives them a promised land so that he can dwell with man. And still, we mess it up. So he sends his son Jesus so that he can dwell with us. By sending the Holy Spirit to our hearts so we can know his presence. By manifesting himself in our midst sometimes when we praise. The tangible presence of God. That at the end of all things, it's going to be actually like... His presence is everywhere, which is even better than it was in the garden because the garden was still Adam and Eve kind of wandering around and exploring all that he created, which is great. But then you'll notice that it said, and then God entered the garden. God's presence wasn't ubiquitous there, but it is in our lives now. We have the Holy Spirit constantly present with us. We have a much better like inheritance because the Holy Spirit is with us and the when Jesus returns and makes all things new, that his presence will be everywhere all the time. Like, I can't even imagine that, but that sounds great to me. I mean, if you can remember any time in your life where you felt the Lord close, all you've been wanting is to get back to that moment. But the way getting there is not going backwards, it's going forwards. By faith, into the unknown, by claiming the Lord is providing me an eternal inheritance of his presence which I taste in part now through the fellowship of his Holy Spirit in the word and when I pray and when I fellowship with believers. That, but that's just like a small part of it. And it will be so much better later on. The second thing we get as part of our inheritance is righteousness. Hebrews says that we are heirs of righteousness. Now, righteousness is so amazing. But one of the things about righteousness is that First off, it's our perfect test record that we get so we can actually get into heaven that Jesus took for us. But the second thing it is, is like the fruits of righteousness. Things like joy, peace, self-control, things that cause life to abound. Those things are all part of righteousness so that we get to be heirs of righteousness, which means we get to see those aspects of righteousness abound in our lives if we choose to pursue them. And the third thing, and like, I don't know why I put it last, because it's the most important thing, is just intimacy. That your inheritance is intimacy with God. Can you imagine? So Pastor Susie talked a little bit about this when she was speaking on prayer last week. About how we don't want to go into the presence of God sometime. We'll be like, when we work our way up to it, you know, like, the, okay, I'll just five minutes, you know, that what she taught on. If you can imagine, one of the things that came to mind as I was thinking about that is like, can you imagine someone told you who your perfect mate was? They just told you, I know who your perfect mate is, the person you're going to marry, the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and he is perfect for you. Like, perfect. And I know his name, and I have his phone number. Would you like to call him? You know, there's two reactions to that. There's one person who's like, yes! <laughs> Immediately, you know? There's another person who's like, I don't think I'm ready yet. You know, I just need to become a better person so that he'll like me. So I'm going to go try to be a better person so that he likes me, and then I'll call him. But can you imagine that perfect person sitting on the other end of the line? I keep using a he pronoun because, you know, I'm a girl, but also Jesus is a man, so... <laughs> <laughs> so 
sitting on the other end of the line, just waiting, staring at the phone. You know, you've texted people that you liked before and you just wait. (laughs) Every time you get a message, you're like, is that them? You know, (laughs) but that, you know, so that perfect person is just waiting and they're like, what's taking this person so long? In fact, they get an incoming message from another person saying, Hey, I told so-and-so that you're your perfect match. So expect them to message you. Meanwhile, you're trying to make yourself better so that person will like you. This is our way we live our lives with Jesus sometimes. Jesus is our perfect match. He's going to be our best friend, our best lover, our best comforter. He is everything. And yet, we often don't go to him. We're like, Lem, give me some time so I can become the kind of person who can talk to Jesus. But the problem with that thinking is if they are your best match, they will receive you no matter what you are like at any point in your journey because they're your perfect match. They're designed to love you unconditionally. So here we have this amazing intimacy that we could have with someone who is our perfect match. But we often forfeit it because of a lack of trust, because of our desire to follow sin, because of our... Many reasons. (laughs) There are just many. But here we have God is setting before us. I'm giving you an eternal inheritance, my presence, my righteousness, my eternal life with me to dwell with me forever. And I'm giving you victory over everything that stands in your way. And I promise that to you. That is my promise. And so now we get to have a little bit of a vision of what we're headed towards, even though it doesn't fully make sense. But if we can set this vision before us, then we will be fully able to conquer the battle. And that's what comes next. This is point three. So we have, we are rising up and we are beholding what God has given us. But now the commandment of the Lord is begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. What's really weird is because the previous sentence says, I have given into your hand. So here's the paradox that we now live with. God has already given me, and yet I have to take it. It's weird. I've given into your hand. You have it. It's yours. Now go take it. Huh? (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, oh, I just, you know, there's so many paradoxes in the Bible like that, but this is kind of how it works out. The best example I can think of is that God has given you a deed to a house. Like, let's say a family member were to pass away and they left you a deed to their home. You have a deed in your possession. You're holding on to it. You know that it's a house. You know that it belongs to you. But it does no good unless you actually go to the house. You actually have to journey to the house. And once you actually get to the house, you actually need to live in it and make your home there and steward it. A lot of us, including myself, sometimes we're just holding on to the deed saying, I'm waiting. You promised me and you said that I should wait upon the Lord. So I'm waiting upon the Lord. (laughs) But you have the deed. You also have the directions in the word. But there's still the part of journeying to see it through journeying until it comes to its fruition. So when God gives us an inheritance, you know, Paul says you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
It's like God is more than willing to give you salvation. He's more than willing to give you the full inheritance. But only if you want it. And only if you want to take the journey to get there. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean like, once you accept Jesus Christ, you have been saved. But if you want the full benefits of the inheritance that he's giving to you, you have to make the journey. And it's really interesting because over and over again, what we see in Israel's battles in the Old Testament, God will say, face them in battle and I will deliver you. They constantly go together. Go up and face them in battle and I will deliver you. Now, have you ever like watched a movie and then like, you know, the scene of like the battle is coming and it looks like all odds are against the protagonists and you're just dreading it. Like that happens to me all the time, mostly because I don't like movies or battles take place. <laughs> like, it's like, I begin to dread, like, I know I have to go battle, but I don't want to because I don't want to have to like struggle in the battle. I'd rather take a route around or like, can you remove it and just let me walk in? I don't want to do the part of battling. The very fact that the Lord has to deliver me means it's going to be a little bit of a scary experience, at least a little. Because the Lord has to promise his deliverance to me before I go in. Don't worry. Like, I'm going to lead you into this maze, but I will lead you out. And that's, that's what we have to do. We're like, okay, I really don't want to invest in this battle, but I have to believe you're going to deliver me. I have to believe that we're going to make it through and we're going to get to the other side. That you're waiting for me there. You're leading me through that I can depend upon you. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Whether we're being self-reliant or dependent upon God. Whether we're going to trust in ourselves or trust in him and what he says. And so God is saying, okay, go forth. Your act of waiting on the Lord, it says those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. You who wait on the Lord, I promise you deliverance, but you must make it an action through faith. The faith is your action. Faith is not just believing and doing nothing. We know from reading James that faith is coupled with action. And there are tons of ways that action can look like, and that's a whole sermon series. If we don't take our faith to action, we will never know the character of God. So there's an aspect where you can know of God and not know him. If you just wait around, hoping that all the hard work will be done for you, then you will simply know of God. It'll be like, I Live in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. You know, I have a huge kingdom before me. I can be a citizen of that kingdom and know that I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And yet I will only know of the ruler who's ruling that kingdom where I live. When in actuality, when God says that we have become heirs, it means we're not just citizens of the kingdom who kind of wander around in it, but we're actually people who go into the palace and go into his throne room and we decree and declare with him that we get to convert, have conversation with him and hear his voice and then have a personal actually knowing of his heart. 
And then we go back out into the kingdom. We begin to do his work because like, once we know his heart, it's like, how can I not go back out into the kingdom and let people know? But there's a difference between knowing of God and knowing God. And that difference is applying your faith. Even when it's hard. Now we can ask like, how then do I apply my faith? Two things. One, read your Bible. Two, pray. Very easy in theory. Not so easy in practice. Because, you know, again, sheep. So we've been given the power of prayer. And I I think I'm going to just mainly focus on that for the rest of the application of what we're going to, you know, focus on how we apply this. Is that the act of praying will apply our faith. And we can ask the question, how? Do I have to pray for something that God has promised to me? If he's promised to me that I can just wait around and eventually there will be a perfect timing and it will exist. But unless you pray, you cannot make a demand on God's character to know him. And unless you pray, you cannot demonstrate God's character to other people. There is so much power in testimony that a praying people who makes a demand on God's character to reveal himself, he will reveal himself because we've asked him to. And then that revelation we get to share with other people who either see the answer to prayer happen or hear our stories about it happening. So like a lifestyle where you're like, you know what, what I was praying about last week, I was praying about my mother's um, like kidneys and it's been really hard and she hasn't been improving, but you know what? This week we were able to see her improve by like 20% for the first time. Power of prayer. And then your friends will be like, what are the chances? You know, it's just a nice coincidence or that's very nice. I'm very happy for you, but it wasn't God. But if you can persist in the place of prayer, you may see that come to fruition and have an even greater testimony. Or it can be for your finances. I was like, I really needed tuition for school. And so I started praying about it. And then the answer came and I got my tuition. And then you get to tell people, I was praying for my tuition and God provided. And people will be like, that's nice. (laughs) But if it happens enough times, people will be going, what? What is this goodness of the jurisdiction that you're living in that I know nothing about? What is this? And not only to share our own testimonies, but I am like a testimony hoarder. (laughs) I share my testimonies and I share other people's testimonies all the time. Oh, you know what? There's a testimony that's applicable to that situation. Let me share it with you. Now, that's all well and good when prayer brings the things that we want it to bring. But what about when it doesn't bring the things we want it to bring? When we've prayed, but we see disappointment. When we pray, but the answer doesn't work out. That is a part where we actually get to take advantage of the intimacy we have with God. In trusting him. Not to turn away and be like, you're not worthy of my trust anymore. But to mourn. And to have God comfort us in our mourning. For him to be like, I know this was important to you. 
I know this is important to you, and I know this isn't what you expected. This isn't what you prayed for. And I'm so sorry that you're experiencing this pain. And then in the goodness of time of his presence being there, I'm, I, know, I'm, I know I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're hurting. For us to become, get to a place where he can go, okay, now, let me lead you to what I have for you instead. But we can't, we can't just forfeit what he has for us instead just because we didn't get the answer to the prayer that we were expecting. And in the fullness of time, that actually becomes a testimony too. Like, you know what? For two years, I was like in the dumps. Like, it was the worst. Like, so many bad things were happening. But then 10 years down the road, being able to look back at it and go, I know exactly what God was doing there. This is the test of our faith. This is the invitation to prayer. There are three people in the Bible that I would like you to know who kind of represent prayer for us. One is Daniel. Daniel prays and intercedes like no other person. Like he fasts for like incredible amounts of time and devotes himself to prayer to the Lord. But what's really interesting about Daniel's prayers, they don't get fulfilled in his immediate context. So he's praying for one example. He's praying for the rebuilding of Jerusalem because it's in ruins. He's praying for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then after he's done praying, an angel of the Lord actually visits him and says, your prayer is answered. The Lord has heard you. Praise God. Do you know what happens after that? 16 years go by and nothing happens. 16 years. And then the Lord sends someone to go begin rebuilding Jerusalem. Do you know what happens after that? They give up. (laughs) For a little bit. And then they start again after some encouragement from the Lord. So there's, there can be huge delays where the Lord says, yes and amen, but wait. But that doesn't mean he's not answering or he has no intention of responding. But it is helping us learn the process of trusting his character. Then there's another person who is Moses. Moses also... Prayed before the Lord like no other. And he also, he had to stand before God on behalf of people who he didn't like and were making his life very hard. Israelites who are so stubborn and constantly giving him trouble, he had to stand before them and be like, Lord, I know they're miserable, but don't destroy them, please. Don't destroy them. You love them. You do? And you are a faithful God, and you will be faithful to them. What will happen if everyone, every other nation surrounding us, hears that you brought them out of the desert and destroyed them? What kind of God are you? (laughs) That's the way Moses prayed. And then the Lord says, you're right. I will honor my name, and I will preserve them. So the point of knowing how Moses prayed, so Daniel is waiting, trusting in the promise. Moses is going before the character of the Lord and telling him what his character is. Does God need to be told what his character is? No. But I need to tell God what his character is. as a reminder to me. So it's like, I'm struggling with walking in this promise right now. I'm struggling with believing for the better that you have for me. But God, I know that your character is this, this, and this. It says so in your word. And you'll hear the Lord say back to you, you're right. I've gone before the Lord sometimes in prayer and like not even wanting to pray the character of God that I see. And then just like praying through it and being like, 
But you know what's funny? Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't believe it, but you can't deny it. Because the Holy Spirit is there bearing witness. He's there bearing witness to what you're reading. So you're like, well, I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. I'm still upset, but I can't deny it. And you go from being in that place as you revisit and revisit and revisit it to actually a place of living it out fully and seeing it come to pass. But it's a journey. The other person is Joshua. This is the person we all want to be. Where we pray and we get to receive it right away. (laughs) That's the story of Joshua. But we have to recognize that in this place of contending for the promise, we could be any of these people. It might be a Daniel moment. It might be a Moses moment. It might be a Joshua moment. But God remains the same. And he is faithful to you. He is committed to you. He wants it more than you do. That's the crazy thing about God. God wants us to be walking in the fullness of his presence and blessings more than we want to. As a testament to his glory. He's jealous for his glory. He wants you to walk in the fullness of blessings so that everyone will know his glory. So he's committed to it whether you are or not. The only thing is, <laughs> the only thing is we are like that sometimes. <laughs> so God is committed to it, but we can either receive it or reject it. We can be a first generation Israelite or we can be a second generation Israelite. But God is committed to it. It will come to pass, but it will come to pass in my life or the next person's life. And it's just up to us to say yes. It's up to us to pursue It's up to us to say, God, I believe you have grace for me to make use of the resources that are around us and to trust that God is a good shepherd. There's one thing is not to compare the speed of my promises to another person's. That if God is answering their promises, but not answering mine, it's not favoritism. They're not doing something better than you are. It's just that he's leading in that way. Paul, in Philippians, is in prison. But he actually says, I rejoice that though I am in prison, there are other people preaching the gospel freely. You know, if I were in prison, I'd be like, well, I hope so-and-so gets put in prison too. (laughs) You know, that's our sin nature. But Paul is like, do you know why I'm happy that they are preaching? Even people that he disagreed with, who he was like, they are not really fully preaching the gospel. He's like, at least the name of Jesus is being proclaimed everywhere. That's good enough. God will have his glory by me being in prison. God will have his glory by them going out into the world. At the end of the day, that's what this is about. It's not about your happiness. It will be fulfilling. Because doing life with God is fulfilling. But at the end of the day, it's about his glory. And when we hear that, we're like, Well, that's not fair. (laughs) If it's all about his glory, what do I get out of it? But if it's all about his glory, you'll find that that's more than satisfying enough for you. It will fill you up like nothing else. Your job won't be able to fill you. Relationships won't be able to fill you. Nothing can fill you like God receiving his full glory. But again, it's something we actually, we have the promise of. We have to live it out to actually see it. I want to direct you to Psalm 25 as a practical application of this, that I believe will help you pray through this concept.
Psalm 25 is David calling on the character of the Lord to fulfill his promises. It is him praying as an act of waiting on the Lord to see everything that God has for him. And now we're not going to read the whole thing because it's long. I will direct you to a few verses. Firstly, verses one to four. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, my God, I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Surely none who wait for you will be put to shame. But those who are faithless without cause will be disgraced. Right? Second generation, first generation Israelites. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Dependence upon the ways of God and not my own. You skip down to verse 7 and 8 and 9. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my rebellious acts. Remember me according to your loving devotion because of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. 10 and 11. All the Lord's ways are loving and faithful to those who keep his covenant and his decrees. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, for it is great. Verses 12 to 14, we'll stop there. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will dwell in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confines in those who fear him and reveals his covenant to them. Here is the promise of the goodness of God for your soul to know his character and his unending devotion to you. It comes from laying claim in the place of prayer on his promises to making an action of faith based on what he's already said to trusting him, to fear the Lord, to hold him as primary and first, and to trust him before you trust yourself. And so this is my encouragement to us today, is that God has more in store for us. He has so much more in store for us that we're going to receive by moving forward and laying hold of his promises. But it will be a battle. And it will be a battle that is primarily won in the place of prayer we have a decision to fight or to forfeit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are so, so, so good. And that you are never, ever changing. And I thank you that you love sheep like us who are very fickle and always needing instruction. But God, I thank you that you don't give up on us ever. So, Father, we ask that with the same tenacity that you love us, that you would begin to teach us that tenacity in the way that we pray and the way that we pursue your promises. God, share with us your tenacity. Put upon us strength for faith. Would your Holy Spirit begin to rise up within us and cause us to rise? We declare that there is nothing we can do on our own. But Lord, we are fully depending on you. Would you make us a people that depends more and more on you, that we can truly testify that those who wait on the Lord are never put to shame. So God, we love you. We trust you. 
would you continue to bring us back to this over and over and over again? That you may have your full glory and that we may be fully satisfied in you. Thank you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.